Hello and welcome to Phoenix Foundation, an episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series, MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be tackling Season 5, Episode 2, Legend of the Holy Rose, Part 2. was September 25th, 1989. Uh, this half was directed by Charles Carell, and same writer, obviously, Stephen Downing. Um, we already discussed the full yeah, episode in brief, so I mean, we can just basically pick up where we left off. I, I mean, guess. I guess just to remind people that this is... Uh, Last week on MacGyver. Yeah, uh, which we had, actually, at the opening. With, yeah. It sounded like Pete. Yeah, it was. But, it, but it was, he was doing such a weird inflection. Last week on MacGyver, yeah. I was like... Why are, you, why are you saying being so cautious about it? Peter Lorre. <laughs> Last week on MacGyver. It's the worst yeah. Peter Lorre ever, by the way. Last week on MacGyver. Pete uh, Lorre Thornton. Uh, just to remind you that uh, MacGyver and a woman from his past, Zoe Ryan, are on the trail of an item, an ancient artifact. Called and, the Holy Rose. And when we last left them, MacGyver was... Underneath a pendulum blade, swinging back and forth, lowering ever closer to his torso. Yeah, he was about to get sliced in half at the belly button. Mm -hmm. Or at the belt buckle. Uh, So Mac is there beneath the pendulum blade, and uh, he basically doesn't have a whole lot of options here. Right. He has basically two shots. Yeah, he he slips off his shoe, and I guess he has enough leverage with the chain that's holding his leg down to toss a shoe towards a cart lever for the brake that'll release the brake, hit an axe on an armored knight that will knock down some heads and put a One head... One of them in. will fall into this tank that's dripping water. This is a huge leap yeah. on MacGyver's part that any of this would work or would stop the pendulum. And even the way it does stop the pendulum, I don't think it would have worked long term. Yeah. But... His first shot misses, so mm-hmm. he's got one shoe left to try with. And the yeah. second shoe hits the lever, nudges the axe out of the knight's hand, which knocks the shelf, and a bunch of prosthetic heads tumble into the tank mm-hmm. that's basically turning the wheel yeah. for this axe to come down. And the hair from one of the heads gets sucked into the spout so that it stops dripping. Yeah. But that's not how water works. Yeah. It like, would... it would still be dripping. It would just be dripping much slower, but mm-hmm. through the hair. Yeah. So, um... Eventually, this pendulum... It might, it might cause it to take longer, but all that would happen would be the pendulum would be lowering slowly. Mm-hmm. But it would still swing back and forth for a while until yeah. it lost its momentum back and forth. Right. So, eventually, it would just be holding still above him and slowly lowering. But this axe has to weigh... Hundreds of pounds. Right. So it would still chop him in half. Mm-hmm. It would just slowly be pushed down through his chest instead yeah, of exactly. slicing him open. What I was hoping, which would have been a really funny situation, is like it doesn't work and it keeps coming down. But when it eventually hits him, it just stops because it's a prop. Yeah, it's like a styrofoam. <laughs> it's for axe. the museum and everyone thought it was real. That, that actually is how this should have gone. I was be like, oh. <laughs> he, he had one shot left and he missed both, both shoes. Yeah. And like he's like he's like, like kind of like freaking out, but it just kind of it breaks, and you can just see that it's yeah, styrofoam. It just cracks in half. Because why would there be a really sharp blade hanging from the yeah. ceiling in this museum? And uh, then he like just pulls his arms out, and then the chains are all styrofoam, and the yeah. table's styrofoam. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, also the pendulum. There's nothing keeping the pendulum going. Yeah. Like there's no there's no visible counterweights. Um, and you, I don't, again, this is a museum. I don't think you would leave it primed. Yeah. Like with the weights in a position. With all that potential energy. Yeah. So the, the, the blade is still swinging when we leave MacGyver, but it's just not lowering. Right. And then we just kind of fade to the blade is stopped on MacGyver's belt. Yeah. I guess the theory is that it couldn't cut through the metal. Yeah. And it just eventually lost its momentum yeah. that way. Uh. But I don't think that would be the case. I think I think the speed and the sharpness of that blade would have eventually worked its way through that. What metal. if the the axe had swung down and tapped his belt buckle and thrown a spark and started a fire? There you go. Cop MacGyver. Just put them in even more danger. <laughs> this is getting worse. Oh, it's in a torture museum fire. 
That's why I look like this. <laughs> With my no legs. <laughs> uh, but so anyway, the next morning... A janitor... Uh, yeah. A janitor cleaning lady finds him and just starts screaming at the sight of Even him. Even though she works at a torture museum. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> this body isn't tortured. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, a well person. Uh, so, at some crazy castle manor, X-Men looking yeah. school building. For special students. Yeah, gifted youngsters. Gifted, that's really what it is, huh? Yeah, gifted it's gifted youngsters, youngsters yeah. Um, a car arrives and pulls into uh, the the. Like the front air foyer area of the of the castle. Yeah, and MacGyver's there too for some reason. Yeah, he's just like running as indiscreetly as possible, just running across the field. Like there's trees and lines of plants all over yeah. the place, but he's just running directly across, across the yard. Um, and uh, he sees someone enter, but we don't get a good view of who it is. They he just hides kind of... by the flagpole, which is like, nope, you're way out in the open. That's yeah, not a place it's... to hide. Uh. And uh, so MacGyver's kind of looking around for a way to sneak into the castle. And immediately he's spotted. Yeah. By Zoe. <laughs> by Zoe. Who happens to be looking out the window. Yeah. The only person in this whole castle of like probably 30 people. And there's guards yeah. walking around on patrol. That bothers to look out the window. Um, so MacGyver uh, takes down the flag and uses the rope. But also takes a big, uh, like one of those rainbird tall sprinkler pipes. And he uh, wraps the flag around it. Right. Meanwhile, inside, the unknown person who enters is none other than Professor Wycliffe himself. Uh-oh. And Von Lear reminds him that he is involved not only in the theft, but in the murder of MacGyver, yeah. who they assume is He blames is him for MacGyver's murder. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, basically, can you translate this stuff? And and they and and like so he says, well, I'll have to you know, just gonna take a look at it. Yeah. So uh, Zoe has brought a tray of food, uh, which she is very displeased with. Yeah. Um. And uh, so outside, she's kind of helping point Mac out where the guards are. As he's climbing up the side of this building. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I should also mention. It's a three-story building. Yeah. And he just lobs this pipe all the way up the three stories. Yeah. It gets a grapple. Yeah. On his first try. First try. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there, I figured the reason he wrapped the flag around it was to muffle the sound. Yeah. But it makes a sound anyway. And a guard starts coming over as he's climbing up. And Zoe is forced to chuck her tray of food out to distract the guard. She clocks him right in the head. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then MacGyver kind of like swings into her room. And they're talking about just making a getaway. Right. MacGyver just wants to get away, but uh, she says she's not leaving without the Ambrose artifacts. Right. So MacGyver, of course, agrees, and so they both climb up, climb up onto the roof. Which is this is this is a hard rope to climb. This isn't like a gym climbing rope. This is like flagpole kind of yeah, thin this twine. Would be like tear your fingers off rope. Yeah, I don't know how you would ever climb. I guess you have the leverage of putting your feet up on the wall of the castle. Yeah. Um, we should also point out that this castle looks like it's brand new. Yeah. Like, it's made to look like an old castle, but the stone looks like it's just been built. And especially when we get up on the roof, you can see that it's just designed like, to look older. Yeah, there's like a tar roof, there's like air conditioning ducts and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so, she asks where the art, he asks Zoe where the artifacts are, and she says in the study, and he asks, is there a fireplace in the study? And so she, they, I guess they kind of like look at the the chimneys that are up on the roof and right. make the assumption. Because we're we're in London, right now. Yeah. We're in Britain, and we've already had like a British taxi driver mm -hmm. and a torture chamber and a castle. So now we need a chimney sweep. We need yeah. to cross off all of these different like British things. Mm -hmm. uh, so MacGyver descends the chimney, uh, and. Uh, while he's down in the fireplace waiting for an opportunity to come out, he hears Wycliffe and uh, and uh, Von Leer kind of just chatting about what they think that they'll find at the end. Right. And this is where we learn a little bit about Shima. Uh, and basically, Von Leer is saying, do you believe what Shima believes? That, that there's like a, an elixir for eternal life. 
And Wycliffe just goes off on him. He's like, Shima and his hashy smoking fanatics. Yeah. It's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> he does not like this guy. Yeah. And they're both off the deep end on their Britishness here. Too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Von Lear's all, well, you believe what you want, Professor. And yeah. I'll believe what I want. <laughs> it's like the uh, you have a story about this, right? Well, it it comes up in our interview with him. Oh, okay. But he just talks about how basically they're just trying to out British each other. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, basically, like Von Leer is like Wycliffe is saying, "Look, I have an idea about these things, but it's going to take me some time." And Von Leer doesn't want to wait, so he says, "Bring Zoe down and Shima." And uh, we're gonna we're gonna basically force her to tell us in some way. And Wycliffe is all, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, she's gonna recognize me. Yeah. And Von Leer's all, uh, I think she probably knows at this point. Yeah. And if she doesn't, it's not gonna be a big yeah. deal if she recognizes you. Yeah. Something and, tells me she won't be alive later. Right. Um, <laughs> she she looked very ill. Uh, but Wycliffe apparently is the reason that MacGyver even found the castle because Zoe goes into this explanation. Oh, I get it. You figured out that it was Wycliffe and then you waited at Heathrow because that would be the only place to land a Concorde because you assume he flew a Concorde and you followed him to his hotel where he was made. It's like, really? This is how you do the exposition. (laughs) You have her annoyingly say all the things that MacGyver did and then MacGyver goes, yeah. Like falling off a log. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, whatever. Um, so MacGyver sneaks in and starts collecting the artifacts. Um, and you think he's going to get away with it. But then when Shima comes in, he Shima immediately sees him crawling along the floor. Yeah. So MacGyver just runs and tackles him as he runs out of the room. And he's completely like soot dusted yeah. from the chimney. Um, so Shima's knocked down. Uh, and... Von Leer and Wycliffe and Shima all go out into the hallway, but MacGyver's vanished, and Eunice hasn't seen him either. Because he's hiding in a different fireplace. A different fireplace! The hallway fireplace! Have we checked all the fireplaces? Why don't we follow these black footprints around the house? <laughs> they seem to dead end at this fireplace. Damn. Dang. I guess we'll never find him. Um, why he could have gone anywhere from here. Why is there a fireplace in the hallway? I mean, like, right... That just seems so unnecessary. He should have, like, ran up to a window and then thrown his shoes out the window. Yeah. And then they'd be like, oh, he climbed out this window, I guess. And there are his shoes. footprints end here at the window. <laughs> there are his shoes down there. He must have taken them off down there. So we couldn't track his footprints. Right. Through the grass. But now he's in this, uh, this Other fireplace. Yeah. And uh, he wants to get... Um, the attention of Zoe on the roof to drop the rope down into the new chimney that he's in. Mm-hmm. And luckily for him, there's a there's a tiny cannon with complete with cannonballs right next to him. So um, he's he ends up like making a tube to launch these yeah, he, cannonballs the whole way up two stories or three stories up top yeah, of the roof. He, he uses a bellows. Yeah. He like right. loads them into the tip of the bellows and just like shoots them up. And uh, again, the, he gets it right on his first try. Like, yeah. How hard do I have to squeeze these to launch a cannonball to the roof? And uh, it comes right out next to her. It goes up too high and hits her in the head and knocks yeah. her out. Yeah. <laughs> or it just comes back down the chimney and takes one of his eyes out. <laughs> just keeps coming down. Damn it. Wow. Um, so at this point, though, Eunice has checked on Zoe and seen that she's gone. Right. And figures that uh, they must have climbed up to the roof somehow. I don't know how she figures it. Yeah, because rope's not hanging there anymore. Yeah. So... She goes up to check. Does she up. say that they're on the roof, or does she just say they they they've escaped? She says they've it. escaped, and when she goes back to look in the room, she looks up and smiles, and then goes up onto the roof. Weird. Like I don't. You made a great leap of logic here. Yeah. But as MacGyver climbs out of the chimney, Zoe has disappeared. Right. And it's just Eunice waiting for him with a gun. Yeah. And uh, and I think she says, "Ain't you just the one, Ducky?" Right. And and then Zoe comes up and clobbers her with a piece of pipe. Yeah. And then uh, mocks her and says, ducky, in, in her own English voice. like, haha, duck. Ducky. Everyone says ducky because we're in England. Right. That's just what they say over there, folks. Yeah. So 
base from here, Zoe and Mac just kind of make a run for it, and they make it off the grounds and into a car and drive off. Yeah. Uh, Shima and and Mammon follow, but they once they're in the car, they choose not to follow them. And now further. that they have the Ambrose things, they can kind of determine where they're going next. Yeah. So Wycliffe has already kind of like got his notes on it. And so he's working the problem, but Zoe seems to know right to go right away. Yeah. Uh, they need to go to Cherbourg, France. And luckily nearby there's an airstrip. Yeah. And I guess they buy a plane because Mac's the one flying it. <laughs> yeah. Um, or they rent one. Yeah, like, yeah, she said to charter one, but I guess, yeah, they rent it. I don't know. Yeah, because there's not a pilot, so. Where are they getting the money to do all this? They're just, uh, tr- maybe they traded the mirror. No, they needed the mirror. No, they need, I need, they need the mirror. Um, so, but somehow they get a plane. And as they're heading to this place outside of Cherbourg, France, uh, Wycliffe has also figured out where they need to go. And so they're going to be going by helicopter, which would be slower, right. I would think, than the plane. Um, and, uh, the location that they need to get to has these, uh, five stones arranged in a circle in a circle. And according to the inscription, according to Zoe, that you must perform the ritual of the rose. And when MacGyver gets there, he's like, these are not from here. These rocks are from somewhere else. Yeah. Because he read like a pamphlet when he was at Stonehenge and Mm -hmm. he just knows that any rock formation that's in a circle is probably rocks that are not from this area. Yeah. That's, that's, that's. Usually the dance to reason. Uh, so they're kind of like they. Zoe realizes that the ritual of the rose is ring around the rosy. Yeah, I, I don't know how she makes that connection. Yeah, but uh, uh, apparently, ring around the rosy, like all old songs, are really really dark and about death and yeah. horrible diseases. Yeah, because ring around the rosy is a reference to the symptoms from the Black Plague. Yeah. Which is why it ends with ashes, ashes, we all fall down. Mm-hmm. It's because they had to burn the bodies. Yeah. Uh, so they're looking low because they figured it all fall down. Yeah. What we're looking for must be low to the ground. And uh, that's when they find some of the symbols on this rock in the center. Right. But these, are... these rocks should all predate the plague. Yeah. Also... They make a point of saying that scholars have been examining this site for hundreds of years and have found nothing. Yeah. They certainly haven't found giant cylindrical holes in every rock. In all these rocks. Um, yeah. And uh, why this rock seems kind of hollow. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they find two, two scepter holds on either side of this big rock. I also feel like this big rock is anachronistically rock-like for something that's a fake rock. Mm-hmm. Like, there, should, there shouldn't have been technology in Ambrose's time to make this rock look as real as it looks. Yeah. Unless it is just a fake rock, which he... Or just a real rock that he carved out the whole inside of painstakingly. Yeah, yeah and then hinged together in yeah. such a way that it could be locked and unlocked. Yeah. He's a smart guy. So they jam all these the scepters in, these holes that have symbols that match them. Mm-hmm. But see, here's this is the one part of this that I don't like. So they open up the rock, and inside is the Holy Rose itself, right? Which is a gigantic ruby. Yeah, it is. It looks like a huge. massive ring pop. Yeah, and it's in one of those like things, like uh, those old toys where you used to like get it spinning really fast, and the shell and then opens, it opens up. up. Yeah, it but, looks like a flower. It's like golden yeah. petals. But, well, yeah, because like the whole rose, there's, there's a lot of flower references. Yeah, but what I don't like about this. Is uh, is that the petals should be red if it's a rose, not the pistons. Not, not gold. Uh, dang it, I forgot what I was going to say. About what you don't oh, like about the... Yeah, yeah, so what I didn't like about this was that this is just another piece of the puzzle. And the temple's right there. Yeah. It's like, no, it, should, they, they, it shouldn't have been right there. Yeah. They should have had to go somewhere else. But... I guess they're running out of time. Yeah. So, luckily, where they need to assemble the pieces here, because they find another sacred stone, according to the the inscription, the open petal. So it's like the one rock that's way far away from everything. Yeah. And there's all kinds of things here to, to attach all of the artifacts. Right. There's a, a, a groove for the mirror. There's a pedestal for the rose. 
and there's no like holes for three scepters. There's they don't have to be delicate or exact with any of this. Apparently not. They just like jam them in facing any direction, and it just mm-hmm. happens to work exactly how it's supposed to. So MacGyver's kind of looking at things, and like she's reading the inscriptions off, and that's when MacGyver puts together that what Ambrose has built here is a solar powered what he calls an optical pump. Yeah. Um, which is actually a component in a laser. Yeah. Um, and so what MacGyver is inferring is that Ambrose created a ruby quartz crystal laser, which yeah. is a real thing. Yeah. Ruby lasers are a thing. Um, I think the implication that this is actually a real ruby and not a ruby quartz, but uh, basically the, 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 his thought process is the mirror reflects the sunlight into the chamber where the rose is, and it gains intensity. Um, Somehow. Yeah. And from the gold. They from claim the that gold. Like, the fact that it's bouncing off gold causes it to gain intensity, which isn't a thing. No. Um, and the interior surface is not nearly reflective enough. Yeah. It's very dull, in fact. Yeah. The mirror, the Diana's mirror is more reflective than the inside yeah. of that shell. Which is why it's almost actually a mirror, even though it's, it's a mirror in the same way that a spoon is a mirror. Yeah. If you want to see how you look upside down, <laughs> check Diana's mirror. Um. Also, there are like little uh, other crystal holes on the sides of the Holy Rose Chamber. Yeah. So the light comes through. Just the one. Just the one hole. Just the one hole that's nearest to the scepters. Yeah. <laughs> um, and is perfectly angled and refracted to, to follow the, the. Even though MacGyver just lazily set it down here. Yeah. It happens to be at the exact right angle. And, and all the scepters, despite the fact that they're all odd heights from each other. The laser beam path follows. It the like ref- zigzags up and down. Yeah. And then. Uh, and we're seeing the connection. Like we're yeah. seeing the laser as it moves through the air. Yeah. So generally when you turn on a laser through a lens or a mirror. It tends to move at what is called light speed. <laughs> That's what the L in laser stands for. Light. Um, yeah. La- but Laser it, is an acronym. And yeah. the L stands for light. So this should be moving at 300,000 kilometers per second. But instead it kind of goes. Zip, bing, bing. It makes yeah, it it makes a do re egon yeah. as it goes through the crystals. <laughs> yeah, um, and then uh, hits this big sheer cliff wall yeah. that has again tons of carvings that no one seems to have understand yeah. that there's nobody looked into. Yeah, no one no one seemed to notice that this one wall had gunpowder in it. Yeah, because it explodes. It was impregnated with gunpowder. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Ambrose built a, a man-sized robot yeah. <laughs> filled with gunpowder to impregnate. He's going to have a gunpowder child with this wall. Uh, that's such a weird phrase. Yeah. He impregnated the wall with gunpowder. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so it blows up. Luckily, it doesn't blow up everything. Yeah. It Maybe it was a, uh, designed to blow outwards instead of damaging everything inside but later on it causes further explosions inside the only reason that the explosion stops here is because a cloud a cloud happens to move in the way of the laser and And they don't take any of it apart they just leave everything in place and just walk right in the path of this laser this laser just blew up a wall and and could be activated at any moment yeah by the slightest clearing of clouds uh at least turn one of the scepters away right from the other one? Do yeah, something. Pull one out. Because <laughs> it, it won't work with two. Yeah. Or rotate the rows slightly. Yeah. Or just take the mirror down. Yeah. Um, so they enter now the Temple of the Holy Rose. And shortly after they go inside, the helicopter comes by. Yeah. And uh, they're all looking down. It looks like they found the temple. And Von Leer says to Wycliffe, do you still think it's... Still think we shouldn't kill them because yeah. they're gonna they're gonna they they found the temple they're gonna tell everybody everything, and Wycliffe is still no I don't want any part of that. Yeah. And so Von Leer says, Shima, did you hear the professor? He says he wants to get off. <laughs> they just throw him out of the helicopter. Throw him right out. And it's, and it's not even like Scarface where they hang the guy. They just throw a guy out of a helicopter. They throw a guy, and and it's good because it's not like a dummy. No, it's a it's, person. It's a person getting yeah. thrown out of a helicopter with no. Visible, visible parachute, parachute yeah. but I'm sure there is a parachute. Yeah. Um, so I don't think they murdered people for this show. I could yeah. be wrong. 
Well, it's it's the eighties. It's a premiere, so it's important. It's a two parter. People died to make this episode <laughs> because we killed them. <laughs> yes. Now, going back in time, and they found this in like castles in Britain that like staircases are like thinner and like people were smaller and smaller the further back you go. So the temple in this underground chamber is so tiny that it mm. looks like ants could be walking around <laughs> it. That's that shows you how old it is. <laughs> what is this? A temple for ants? <laughs> <laughs> but uh for some reason there's like a scale model of a temple that looks just like someone brought it into an architecture class. Mm-hmm. It's all like made turrets. out of like yeah. It's all turrets. But it also looks like it's made out of, like, foam core. It doesn't look like it's made out of, like, yeah. era-appropriate materials. Um, what this is, what they were looking for for the Temple of the Holy Rose was the actual building that we see the miniature of, yeah. but full scale. But it turns out it's a joke. Yeah. It's like the, the galaxy is on Orion's belt. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually tiny. Yeah, so... Um, Inside, there are all these, like, artifacts, stone carvings, and stuff like that. And uh, so they see the Holy Rose Temple, and apparently the grail that they're looking for is underneath right the, the dome. Right in the lid of the, dem- of the temple. And once again, it's the child safety cap line up the symbols. Yeah. So the all around the dome uh, are the three symbols off-center from yeah. each other. So MacGyver rotates it, and, and it falls into place. I'm worried about booby traps at this point. Yeah. Because, not because there have been, but because there have not been. Yeah. There have been no booby traps placed along the way yet. Um, so it seems like one's coming any minute now. Yeah, yeah, Right? Yeah. And it is. Um, uh, so inside is, I would call it a bowl. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's like a, it's got two handles on it, and inside is a bunch of red seasoned powder. salt. <laughs> yeah, some 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 Lowry seasoned salt is yeah. in there. It's so, supposed to be Jesus blood or something. See, that's what uh, the implication is that it's Jesus blood. Well, but but then Von Leer will say later, spoiler alert, that that there's a formula for the elixir that's in there, the red earth they call it. Yeah. Supposedly Ambrose created this stuff. So once again, hammering home that this is not the real yeah. Holy Grail. Um, I, that's how I feel. Honestly, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm taking away from this episode. I mean, I might be wrong. At this point, I guess MacGyver and Zoe didn't notice that Von Leer, Mammon, and Shima have all taken positions inside this room and yeah. surrounded them. Yeah. Um, also important to note that there is light coming into this room from an opening in the cave. So this was already exposed. Yeah. And again, people have been studying it for hundreds of years. Yeah. And there's no dust anywhere down here. No dust. Even though it's open to the elements. Yep. It should be full of water. Or uh, this whole thing should just be destroyed and worn away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Shima asks to take the bowl. And now at this point, Von Leer is like foaming at the mouth with desire just, yeah. just to hold it. And Shima's like... Oh, Von Leer, thank you so much for all your help. We couldn't have done this without you. Yes, yes, yes. Just just give it to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, he wants his precious. Um, and Shimon just goes, I'm sorry, Von Leer. You will not be among us who drink the, the eternal life. Yeah. And shoots Von Leer in a non-lethal way. Yeah. Like, just to be a him, jerk. <laughs> wings him in the shoulder. And also doesn't remember that Mammon is also there and works for Von Leer and yeah. also has a gun. Yeah. Mammon, who is uh, the bodyguard from yeah. Fraternity of, of Thieves. Yeah. Also, uh, Mammon, I feel, is a joke by the writers because Mammon is, like, another term for, like, greed and yeah. the curse of avarice and stuff like that. Yeah. Also, though, used as the son of the devil in Constantine. Oh, okay. They used for the name of the son of the devil. Anyway. Um, so I feel that that was, like, a joke yeah. on the writer's part that Von Leer's henchman is greed. Yeah. Essentially. Um, yeah, so Mammon shoots Shima. I don't know what Shima expected to happen yeah. when he shoots the only other guy in the room. <laughs> um, so Von Leer, again, not lethally or mortally wounded in any way, yeah. just winged, um, says, because MacGyver and Zoe just kind of hide behind a rock. Yeah. So <laughs> okay. they're like, all right, well, take the take the bowl and let's get out of here. Yeah. Um, Shima stumbles outside with the bowl uh, Von Leer says, I'll kill Shema, you kill them. 
Yeah. And, and then MacGyver takes him out immediately. Yeah, MacGyver, because he just sets, the, he does a vertigo, uh, uh, sorry, rear window, yeah. where he just sets the camera flash bulbs that keep going off yeah. and just punches them in the face. Yeah, which is the same thing he did to a couple of guys uh, in the the one where they grifted the grifter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they were at, when they were at uh, the girl's house. Right. They set up the cameras to, to, to blind people. When, when you step on two wires that are placed very specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he also did it in the gauntlet, but with C4. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He connected the camera flash to the C4 so that when they tried to take a picture, it would explode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, he set the camera on timer. timer. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so Shima's outside holding, he falls to his knees holding the bowl, and he says, I'm dying. And Von Lee's out, give it to me. Yeah. And so Shima just dumps it out and Instead falls to just death. Eating it. Yeah. If I were Shim, I'd be like... Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I was like, maybe this will work. I'm dying. I have nothing to lose. I'd rather die with a mouthful of red earth. Yeah. Um, mm, salty. Oh, this is Lowry's. <laughs> he invented Lowry's. <laughs> but there's like a hint of... So cotton. far ahead of time, though. <laughs> Laser's great, but this guy invented the greatest seed of salt in the man. I can put it on everything. Wow. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a steak. Oh, I'm dying. <laughs> Take a nice dry rub with it, (laughs) and I'm dead. (laughs) There's the dry rub. Ah, there's the rub. So Shima dumps the dust all over the ground, which I still feel is very collectible because it kind of fell into a pile. There's enough of it, at least, that you could grasp some of it. Yeah, we don't know how much you need. Especially if you could maybe reverse engineer it chemically to determine whatever the formula is that Von Leer is looking for now. Do us get a spectral analysis on it. Yeah. Find out what it is. Oh, it's Jesus's blood. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it turns out it's actually, we did a blood test and you are the father god. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) And there's Mary like doing that, like Dancing. yeah, victory dance. <laughs> and Joseph, oh gosh, uh. wow, sacrilegious. I love it. It's not the Holy Grail. I'm saying it. It's sacrilegious. not. <laughs> um, so as uh, MacGyver and Zoe exit the temple, they see Shima and the Grail on the ground. And MacGyver says, wait. Also, presumably, Michael Einstein's body somewhere. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just flat. Uh, um, MacGyver tries to tell her to wait, but Von Leer just kind of comes out from a bush. Goes, yeah. aha! And where, where do I stand? Here? I'm going to stand here. Right here. I'm going to stand right here and threaten to kill you. Um, and he's like, it's gone. The elixir. Cast to the wind by that fool. <laughs> it's so <laughs> great. <laughs> Um, at least he didn't call him a hashish smoking fool like right. Wycliffe did. Um, and uh, so Von Leer's like, like basically going to kill, he's threatening to kill him again, monologuing. And I think, I can't tell if MacGyver is stalling for time. Like he's aware. I think he is watching the cloud. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, he's, a, he's trying to tell him like that all that's in that temple was a museum. Yeah. Like that Ambrose just collected a bunch of artifacts that he didn't want destroyed and he hoped that someone w- someday would find them. Uh, and destroy them. Yeah, and destroy them, I guess. <laughs> like we're going to. Because Von Leer says, no, I'm sure he put a formula for the Red Earth in there. Yeah. And I'm going to find it. Just then, per, and like now, now he's still talking because the clouds already moved, but the laser takes so much time to charge yeah. that he doesn't notice, oh, what's going on over there with all the red bing, lights? Bing, bing. <laughs> then ah, oh, he does get lasered right through the chest and it pushes him backwards yeah into this cave uh, and then it explodes yeah and then there's like a statue behind him that must have also been impregnated with gunpowder and the whole thing erupts yeah and why it didn't go off with Earlier. the first blast I mean maybe because there was so much debris from the first explosion that it blocked the laser yeah, long be. enough for the cloud to cover everything um, I should also mention we need to mention that when the laser shuts off the beam retracts yeah into the laser instead of just going out. Which I bet a lot of you didn't realize that that's how light works. Because that's not how light works. <laughs> um, the light slowly drips back up into the heavens. Yeah, yeah. Once you turn a flashlight off, the light just kind of gets pulled right Sucks back in. back in at a visible speed. <laughs> um, so we see an interior... This was the 80s, though. I don't know how much we knew about light. 
<laughs> enough to build lasers for real. Oh, that's true. Um, uh, we get an inside inside shot of the temple collapsing. Right. Not forgetting that Mammon is still in there alive. Yeah. But not anymore. Yeah. Well, we don't know. Maybe he got some of that red earth. Yeah. You found the formula. But we see rocks just destroy this whole like the miniature of the architecture temple. Yeah. Senior project. And so. MacGyver is trying to comfort Zoe, saying that I think that Ambrose wanted that thing destroyed. It's like, why did he go through all this trouble? To take, he went through so much trouble spanning continents to to lead people here. He could have just thrown it in a dumpster. (laughs) (laughs) Why did he waste all that time? The church was going to destroy it anyway. Yeah. Um, and Zoe is super upset. That she she only has all she has is the Holy Grail. Yeah, all <laughs> or what I, she's calling the Holy Grail. Yeah, that's all I have. It's like you know, you all also, I have to show for myself is the most priceless artifact known to human history. Yeah. Also, you have a ruby that easily weighs fifteen pounds. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, take this thing apart. Plus, it's cherry flavored. <laughs> the best one. <laughs> the best one. Um, Actually, blue raspberry is pretty yeah. good. All, so if all, this were yeah. a sapphire. All of this stuff is gold, by the way. And ancient artifacts. Yeah. Like, you have a lot to show for it. Yeah. And this is also another thing that I hate. They did it in The Goonies. They did it, spoiler, in Uncharted 4. Just because a temple collapses with rocks... Doesn't mean that everything is wasted and useless. Yeah. It's still... You can go back in... Yeah. And get the things. Yeah. Like, you... Now should you... be... You should get your whole excavation team off of the football field and yeah. bring them here. Exactly. Like, yeah, it caved in. You're you have gonna a need... giant ruby to fund your expedition with. Yeah. It's a, it's a cave-in. You need some equipment. You need to be cautious because it might cave in further. But there's still stuff in there. Excavate it from the top down. Yeah. Like, th- you still have all the evidence that there was, that it existed. Yeah. And you're trying to act like, oh, well, well no one... Everything's been destroyed. There's no way to look at any of this information anymore. Yeah. That, that always really bothers me. Yeah. It's still there. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, you know, one-eyed Willie ship sails away, but all that stuff is still in the caves. Yeah, there's the cave so much gold. The cave is still there. Um, so, uh, not to mention all the coins in the wishing well. Right. <laughs> Go back for those. <laughs> Getting to have a pizza party later. <laughs> uh, they try to bring up some, like, aspects of, like, spirituality of, like, what do you think about that uh, cloud moving just in the nick of time? Yeah. It's like, oh, well, I think someone was on our side. Um, uh, yeah. And so they gather up all the stuff and they start to leave. Uh, this is my, like, my, like, my notes for the ending of this episode. Technically, these artifacts belong to France. Yeah. Um, you can't just take them. Yeah. You can't just take local artifacts. I mean, I know that the guy who put them there was British. Yeah. That doesn't mean... You the the British own them then even in the just in that take sense. it home and say you found it somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> Look what I found in my mailbox. Yeah, it's it's like this is stealing. This is grave robbing. It's yeah. a crime. Um, it's one that like the British Museum it gets hounded for a lot since yeah. they have all the stuff that they took from all over the world and they won't give it back. Yeah. Um. Uh. It, it's it's a big deal, and also people need to be arrested because there are people who aren't dead. Who yeah. were involved in this. There's also presumably a helicopter pilot. Yeah. Standing by like, hey, so are you guys coming back? He keeps leaving voicemail messages. Yeah. It's me. MacGyver and, and the girl show up. He's like, you guys want to ride? <laughs> I think I got I got ditched here. <laughs> they, they, they paid me for the day, so. Also, there's a castle for sale. <laughs> Probably full of very valuable they things. They traded me the castle for this. Well, we have a plane. We have a plane and a ruby. We have to return it. Uh, so it's kind of like there's no there's no f- roundup because again these episodes only have four acts instead of right. the fifth act that most of the episodes have. Um, I don't know. I I, I feel like the ending is a little odd, but yeah, it's still a really fun episode. Yeah, it's still really thing. all all great. Like my notes are nitpicky notes. Yeah. So, um, um, I also didn't get to use the word lasers. But I meant wrote it in my notes. But I never used it. I like I like for to say when that. something gets lasered. Yeah. Lasers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I put um, that uh, 
that Von Leer get, gets lazed. <laughs> yeah, the optical pump lazes him. Uh, but uh, I love adventure like this. It's an optical pump, a real term. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay. It's a it's a, it's a part of a laser. It's okay. not it's not the laser itself, but it is a component of the laser. Sure. Um, and uh, and again, like I said, ruby lasers do exist, and they are very simple. The ruby labor handheld ruby lasers were built in like the 1960s. Okay. Um, that that just ran off quartz crystals and were powerful enough to pop balloons. Really? Um, mm-hmm. uh, I was watching. I was because I was because I, I knew that there were ruby lasers, but I wasn't sure like how big they were what you know because you look at like early early lasers they're massive because they didn't know how to reduce the the technology you know um but yeah ruby lasers were very simple to build um so the concept of this guy ambrose building a ruby laser is not too far-fetched yeah it it just needs it just requires a little bit of electricity and some more refined. So even abilities. a ruby laser that could pop a balloon would need electricity. You could just do it with sunlight. Um, I think you you need to generate some sort of electric charge. Because otherwise, you don't have the 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 golden petals yeah. to magnify <laughs> the light, which doesn't um, isn't a real and, uh, property yeah. of gold. And 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 there's also a couple of like little minor electronics. But honestly, I think it could be done. Yeah. I think if you were teleported back to the Middle Ages and you were a, a laser engineer, I feel like you could do it if if uh, Diana's mirror was the size of like the satellite array. Yeah, like it would need to be like a giant dish that was like at that point you're just stories tall. At, th- at that point you're just doing an Archimedes heat laser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, which I think they also tested on MythBusters. Yeah, I think they had Obama as their guest when they tested that one. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Stand out here, Mr. President. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, don't go there. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Archimedes. Uh, is famed for having sunk ships sh- on fire with a giant mirror. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think they were shields, mirrored shields. Yeah, and he just arced them together. Yeah, um, pretty fascinating. Yeah, uh, but yeah, good episodes, man. Good yeah. good way to open up a new season. Awesome cast mm-hmm. and fun location shooting and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, it's gonna stay pretty local for a while after this. Yeah, but um, but it's still a really great way to kick off the season. And uh, I like these two-parter premieres. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we get another one with Eye of Osiris. Is that a two-parter? I think that's a single-parter. Single episode. Um, but it's another Von Leer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Von Leer has a brother. Yeah. Played by a reoccurring character actor, Kai Wolf. Right. Um, Playing the the Jeremy Irons. Yeah. To, uh, to... Christopher Neem's uh, Alan Rickman. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's, that's a fun thing. And they're both evil smuggling criminal artifact stealer guys yeah yeah <laughs> and on that note let's return to our conversation with actor michael ensign that that second episode uh, legend of the holy rose was a was a two-part season opener i was curious if you recalled any fun stories from that set yeah it was again it was it was it was great fun that was back in the days when um they were just beginning to do a lot of stuff up in vancouver yeah and every time I went up to do something, because I did several things up there, I thought, this isn't going to last. They're going to get Canadian actors, and they're <laughs> going to do it all, and we won't be flying up from L.A. And, of course, eventually that's kind of what has happened, other than, you know, big names. Sure. Um, but I love Vancouver. Vancouver is just a glorious city. And uh, so I was really, uh, as we say in England, chuffed about that. <laughs> And uh, so I go up there, and then I ran into Christopher Neem, who I'd known from 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 England. Um, oh, okay. And who uh, Christopher was uh, when I was we're roughly the same age. Um, I'm a teeny bit older than he is, but not by much. And so I watched his career um, and my own in in England, and he was uh, he was very dashing young leading man very uh, very handsome and did lots of stuff like that and stuff i wouldn't get near <laughs> um and anyway it was it was nice to to tie in with him again and what was fun was that we had we had all these two-hander scenes uh, and and the way we they we were playing it and and being very british about things and we had a great deal of fun on it because we we both decided we were doing an Agatha Christie play. Okay. And, and so 
we we both were feeding a little bit too much into the the uh, you know the the British um, Agatha Christie um, very clipped accents all that kind of it, it may not come across on the screen but we were we were in in some ways we were kind of making fun of of the genre not of MacGyver sure sure but of the of the stylistic thing of of two British actors. <laughs> and, uh, and and so we had we had a great deal of fun, and of course we we knew so many uh, similar people, and and Chris again is a great guy. Um, I've run into him over the years periodically here, and he's uh, he's like the best of the good kind of British actors, where you you regard it as very much as a craft, something that you love to do, but it's it. The last thing in the world a really good British actor is going to do is to take it terribly seriously. Yeah, it's not uh, it's it's not the style of British actor, even though they care greatly about the work and get it done beautifully and all the rest of it. But they're not very prone to sitting around and talking about motivation and feeling and, quite frankly, a lot of stuff that many American actors do. Yeah, um, that's that's not the British style. So um, it's kind of get on with it. Um, it's an old cliche, but the difference between, or well, good British training, uh, supposedly, um, it's a quote, I think, given to Noel Coward, but it may not be him and it may not be unique to anybody. But supposedly, Noel Coward, the great British playwright, director, producer, bon vivant, et cetera, et cetera, uh, very famous in his day. Yeah, uh, was directing a play with a young actor, and the young actor is supposed to have said to him, uh, "Oh, so no, what, what, what shall I do?" And he said, "Speak up, so we can hear you, and don't trip over the furniture." <laughs> and that's the best. <laughs> you know, you get on with it. You do the work. You don't talk about it. You do it. Right. Yeah. And that Holy Rose episode was actually it was a second appearance for you and for Christopher Neem. Yeah. Um, and uh, that same year, uh, 84, Neem had, or sorry, 89 for the second episode, um, Neem had shown up in Ghostbusters 2 as the maitre d' of a fancy restaurant. Yeah, and I wasn't in 2. I was in 1, and they couldn't have found a way to put the hotel manager back in. Yeah, they should have come back to the Sedgwick yeah. at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And then they recast it with a bunch of women now. I don't know why they couldn't have a scene where they go to the old folks' home and there's the original manager. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it would have been great, but of course, this is Hollywood. That's not going to happen. Sure. Um, so yeah, Chris is Chris was great. Let's think whatever else. It was fun. The that was interesting because they they were really for a TV show that they were spending quite a bit of money on it, and we we went over to um, to Victoria, British Columbia, yeah, which is on on Vancouver Island, and. We went there because they were using a, something that looks like a castle. Uh, yeah. It was a very wealthy millionaire's house that he built for himself, I believe, in the late 19th century. But it looked very castle-like and was appropriate. So what was fun was to be able to go uh, to a whole different city and, and spend time there and, and, and get the shots we needed there. Oh, should I even say this? Uh, they were a bit grumpy. The crew got very grumpy uh, <laughs> because poor, poor guys, you know, the Canadian crew working very hard, very good, very, very talented people. And I remember showing up on the set one day and one of the crew guys I was kind of friendly with came over to me and was holding a bottle of wine. He said, see this, see this, this is what they gave us for working 24 hours straight. <laughs> They, their their unions were not as strong as American unions. And yeah. Anyway, the, it was it, there was a little bit of grumpiness on that because again, everybody's out to to do it and make a buck and this kind of thing. I think the Canadian crews, it's very different world. Um, they used Canadian actors and and when we were there, the the difference in pay between a Canadian actor and what an American actor was getting was was pretty scandalous. Um, that's why they were up there. Yeah, and I think they still up there. But um, some of those uh, those were the outside things. But you know, Vancouver and Canada in general is just such a wonderful country, and 
it was fun to have have it filmed up there. I'm sure that's why they went there. Yeah. Uh, of course, when I did X Files, they moved back to L.A. But um, oh, that's interesting. They were up there for a long time. Yeah. And again, it's it's kind of fun to use some of the skills that you have from from earlier times. I've just finished something. Uh, guesting on a, a new series that stars Jason Jones and Natalie Zia. Um, I can't really discuss much of it uh, sure. because there's non-disclosure stuff. But yeah. it's it's a fun comedy series where the part I played was able, I was able to be extreme and over the top and yeah. crazy and all that kind of thing. And it was fun to do that because often you don't you don't uh, you know you don't get a chance. Yeah. Uh, so, again, being able to play um, using my strength um, in, for the for the MacGyver was, was really good. Yeah. In, uh, was, that, was that the one where I was thrown out of a helicopter? Yeah, I was just going to say. Um, yeah, I, that's what I mean. I'm, I'm, I'm really good in playing villains that get killed. <laughs> in, uh, uh, in both of your MacGyver episodes, you get yeah, pretty dramatic yeah. death scenes. I was, I was oh. curious, over the course of your career, what would you say has been your favorite death scene? It may well be that helicopter. <laughs> very, very, very dramatic. Yeah. Um, I would say between that and Guggenheim are really, really strong contenders. Right. Well, that was and that was that was fun because um, on on with Guggenheim, uh, James Cameron called me down to the set the night before they were going to shoot all that sequence. And he said, Michael, how do you feel about stunts? <laughs> and I said, James, I am a coward, religious <laughs> in it. In fact, my family coat of arms is a sheep running away. <laughs> and he laughed. And so I was well taken care of. But it was a very tricky night. Um, they reckoned that it was going to take weeks. If they didn't get it, uh, they w- it was going to take weeks to reshoot that sequence because it would take that long to reset. Uh, yeah. Um, because the whole set was being flooded. Um, that whole set was in a five-story deep tank. Yeah. Which was was going to be flooded, and so um, a lot of things they could plan, a lot of things they couldn't plan. Uh, I. Um, I was taken care of. They they got me. You 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 see me sitting in my chair and the water coming to me. Yeah. But they actually kept filming with the water coming at me, and I had two big old stunt guys who kind of grabbed me and took me back to the the, the back part of the set where I never got really you know really underwater. Yeah. But what wasn't expected was that the uh, linoleum on the floor, uh, like where my chair was. As the water was coming up, it buckled oh, no. big, like a big bubble, and it kind of threw the chair over, and that's when they, they snatched me up. Yeah. Um, That'd be pretty and, terrifying. And then they they weren't expecting the big staircase to, to get loose, um, and you had all those underwater sequences, vandals, stuntmen dressed as extras and all the underwater camera gear and all this kind of thing. But the, the great oak staircase, and it was, I believe it was oak, um, it was very, very solid. Yeah. And it got loose and it was floating around in it, which <laughs> made it made it very, very dangerous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was that was fun. Um, let's see, I've been shot a number of times, which was always. I'm I'm not really good, you know, stunt wise and throwing around, and I'm not very athletic and. So anytime I used to have to, I'd be shot or stabbed or something, and I have to fall down. That can always get interesting. Yeah. Uh, but it was. Uh, I was so bad at it. In fact, when I was at Stratford with the Royal Shakespeare Company, the opening sequence of a, a Romeo and Juliet is a is a fight, a street fight. Yeah. The, the two families. And my fight director from. Lambda, the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, where I went to drama school, um, and I was no good at it. Um, he, B.H. Barry, and he, um, he became, he was the fight director for that production. And he came in and 
looked at me and he said, oh, God, not you. <laughs> and I said, hi. And so he said, all right, you run on the stage, you scream and faint. And <laughs> you get out of the way of having any kind of fight that I had to do. <laughs> so um, anyway, I didn't quite do that, but it was uh, it was funny. So when I've had to do death things um, or when I've been shot or stabbed or things, it's always... It's always interesting how you work it out. And I must say that in in Hollywood with the tremendous help, helpful stunt guys. Yeah. Uh, stunt doubles and everything. They're 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 amazing. Yeah. Usually take very, very good care of you. As an enormous fan of Ghostbusters, I would be remiss if I didn't ask for any memorable stories you have from the set of that film. Well, Ghostbusters was interesting because I uh, that's er- that was kind of early on in my time in Hollywood, and, and I um, I auditioned for it. I can't remember whether I auditioned for it more than once. May have been, but I I auditioned for Ivan Reitman, and and what we auditioned with originally was the William Atherton stuff, the guy from the EPA. Oh, okay. And that's what my impression was that I was. If they offered me anything, it was going to be that. And my agents felt the same way. And so the time passed, the time passed, and no. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sitting in my apartment and not far from Warner Brothers, um, feeling sorry for myself one afternoon. <laughs> and they, they rang up, my agent rang up and said, uh, uh, do you want a booby prize or a consolation prize? And I said, yeah, okay. They'd, <laughs> they'd like you to do this um, hotel manager. So I I went down to the Biltmore, and they did it on a... That sequence with me, really time-wise, should have probably been done over two days or two nights. Yeah. But they were way behind. They had been, on. They had been, I guess, back in New York, and they were back in Hollywood, and they were... All you know, money's burning and all of that kind of stuff. So they were trying to cram in all of it in one one night, and so we went down to the Biltmore Hotel, and that's where that all is is done. But if you remember when they arrive and we walk down the corridor and we we eventually go to the door where they go in to try to de-ghost, and <laughs> that sequence was tricky for camera moves. And it was very closely timed um, on certain lines had to be at certain places in order to, to make the move. Yeah. And so off we go. Um, and I knew my lines and I knew the cues and all. And then they start making up stuff. <laughs> and that's fine because they're very funny guys. But that's <laughs> not good for me because I can't make up lines. <laughs> I'm, I'm not allowed to do that. And I have to say things at certain times. So we, we did, you know, the, you know, several shots were ruined. <laughs> and so finally, Ivan got very annoyed and, and began to tell me off a bit. And I'm Uh-oh. standing there sort of taking it. I, you know, you're not going to say, uh, listen, Ivan, it's not my fault. These guys are messing me. Come on. <laughs> I, I, you don't do that. So fortunately, Dan Aykroyd piped up and said, you know, back off, Ivan, words to that effect. Yeah. Uh, not his fault. We're the, we're the, you know, we're the culprits. And they, and they sort of saved my, my reputation. <laughs> eventually we were, we were able, you know, able to get it. Um, it was, it, it was very interesting because when I, I did two movies almost simultaneously, that all of me and Ghostbusters. Yeah. And when I read Ghostbusters, I thought, Eh. and I read all of me, and I was laughing all the way through the script. It was <laughs> so funny. And, and then when Ghostbusters came out, um, we uh, we went to a cast and crew. My, my, my agent went with me, and we sat there, and afterwards we came out saying, yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't really working. Then I, I I have four godsons and they 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 were very little at the time and yeah. so I took them to see the movie, and um, we were going over to Westwood and 
and walking up to the theater, and immediately I'm recognized by the people waiting in line. <laughs> and I thought, oh, interesting. Um, and then we get in, and people are treating it like the Rocky Horror Show. They're they're shouting out lines before they happen. Well, it's a very quotable film. <laughs> you know, so that you know they're they're going on about that, and and then afterwards, again, more recognition for me, and I thought, yeah, this is probably something that's going to, you know, certainly uh, exceed any expectations I had for it. Yeah. And from then on, it was fine. And I finally got my full kind of credit with my, my four godsons when, when it came out in Mad Magazine. And yeah. That, that, and there's like two or three drawings of me in that. <laughs> that's awesome. So finally, finally, I had some kind of credibility with them. I, if I could make Mad Magazine, <laughs> uh, but it, it it was it was one of those parts that again, it's not that big or that important in some ways, but it was amazingly useful for me. Sure, uh, yeah. The only problem I had was trying to convince people I I didn't just play prissy little men in bow ties, <laughs> uh, but. The recognizability from it, um, the way people were wild about it in London last last summer, um, it's it, it's been very useful, um, and it just shows you that you can never gauge um, how something's going to play. I, I mean, I don't know what would have happened if I got that guy from the EPA. I don't know whether it would have been as in some ways as memorable. Well, it's funny. Literally, every time I hear that something costs $5,000, I can't help but repeat your line. $5,000, I had no idea it'd be so much. I won't pay it. I won't pay it. Everybody wanted me to write on their picture, I won't pay it, <laughs> buy my autograph. And I did about 600 of them last summer. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, I'm supposed to be signing some more stuff they're sending me here. So it's been very, you know, very, very useful. Um, and those guys are great guys. I worked with Dan Aykroyd again and Couch Trip, um, and very, very nice guy, very easy to work with, yeah. very easy going. Are there any other upcoming projects you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I, I don't have anything uh, other than what I can't talk about. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... So that that's that. I, I, I have done something on Kirby Buckets, which is that kids show. Right, yeah, that's for Disney XD, right? Yeah, and uh, they, I had fun with that. I don't know whether he'll come back again, but he's the kind of evil father, superintendent of the school. Yeah. The either evil father or the principal, who's pretty sleazy anyway. But anyway, <laughs> I get, get to play that. And, that. and that was fun. That, yeah. I mean, you'd think, yeah, it's a little kid show, but it wasn't. It, it's actually... It's actually fun. I was treated very well, and uh, they did a great job on a ball camp. And even the kids' shows, I mean, especially on Disney, but the, the production value is really getting put into those shows now, and the animation on that show is great, too. Yeah, they do indeed. It's, um, I, I was very impressed, and they have taken over a whole building here in Burbank yeah. um, that belongs just to that production, and they do all their casting and editing and shooting and all of that in, in, in one building. Um, so I, I'm hoping that, that he'll come back again. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what we all live in hope for. <laughs> sure. Uh, Cause I, I love, I love being an actor and, uh, as I said, I love doing it. Um, my goal is to die somewhere around my 90th birthday between the matinee and evening performance and come back that night playing the corpse. <laughs> well, I think that's a good place to end it, I think. Um, I want to thank you again so much for sharing your time with us today. We really appreciate it. Get an old actor wound up, and all you do is get stories and more stories. Edit it a lot. <laughs> okay, deal. <laughs> okay, thank you. All right, thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I think that's about it for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys have any thoughts you want to share with us, you can find us on Twitter at Opening Gambit. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Phoenix Foundation Podcast or our website, phoenixfoundationpodcast.com. And if you're digging the show, feel free to review us on iTunes. Uh, tune in next week. We're going to be covering Season 5, Episode 3, The Black Corsage. Mm-hmm. All right, so stay tuned for that.
that. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Thanks.